0: We're looking at one Samuel seventeen, <laughs> which is one of um, well one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, and arguably one of the greatest sort of stories of ancient literature. There's this great showdown between David and Goliath. Now I say a great showdown, but did you notice in the reading how much little time was actually spent on the showdown itself? I mean, this chapter is a big chapter, right? <laughs> chapter seventeen. All about David and Goliath. There are 58 verses here. How many verses, or I should say how few verses, were actually on the fight itself? Glance down with me at verse 48. So we're on page 289, if you want to follow along on the church Bibles, or do follow along on the phone. Verse 48 of, of 1 Samuel 17, as the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed, over the Philistine, with a sling and stone. And that is it. Just three verses on this great showdown. And it begs the question, well, what about the other 55 verses in this chapter? And what is going on there? I'm not sure if you've ever heard the phrase of David and Goliath in sort of everyday language today, it's often used with underdog overtones. So, minnows, woking FC, relish the underdog role in their David and Goliath match with Giants, Manchester City. If you just have enough courage and bravery like David, then you can fell the giants in your life. Have you ever heard sort of David and Goliath used like that, meant like that? I want to suggest to you this afternoon that that is to miss the main point, the main message of this incredible story in the Bible with its focus mainly on the Lord and it is He who saves. The battle is not ours but His. The moral of the story is not be brave like David you'll fell the giants in your life. This is a story about God, trusting him, such that no matter what comes your way, no matter what you face in life, he will give you the ultimate victory. And I want to put it to you that that is a message which is far more encouraging for us today. And that is what the other 55 verses are about. So let's take a look at them now. We're going to do a character study through chapter 17. So we're going to look at the fear of Goliath, then the faith of David, and then the victory of Christ. Okay? Okay. First of all, the fear of Goliath and the danger of only focusing on what we can see. What is striking about this um, opening section of 1 Samuel 17 is just how much attention is paid to Goliath's appearance. One theologian calls it the single most detailed description of a warrior in the Bible. Another saying it is unique in practically all of Hebrew narrative. Notice first, glancing down to verse 4, The attention given to Goliath's immense size and stature. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, which the footnote tells us is about nine and a half feet. Some translations have four cubits and a span, which would still put him at seven feet tall. Either way, here is a beast of a man, right? Think of it hulk think thanos if you're inside the mcu films without the green and purple skin this is an incredibly intimidating man with sheer power and strength and size notice secondly his protective armor verse five he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. And if you glance down to the end of verse 7, we're told he's got a shield-bearer going ahead of him. So here he is, head to toe in body armour. Not only is he incredibly intimidating, he looks absolutely impregnable. Notice thirdly his state-of-the-art weaponry. Verse 6. A bronze javelin was slung on his back, his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That is like a seven-kilo dumbbell, for those of you who work out. Imagine that being fashioned into a point on a spear, and that is being aimed at you. Incredibly intimidating, utterly impregnable, Goliath looks invincible. Now, why so much detail and attention on Goliath's outward appearance? Because that is all the Israelites can see. That is all the Israelites are focusing on, what's right in front of them. You might say, well, of course they are. You can empathize with that. Here are God's people. There is no mention of God at all here. They are looking at things merely from a human perspective. Do you remember what God said last week when they were choosing their next leader in chapter 16, verse 7? Turn back, it's such a key verse for us for this book. Just flip back over 287, verse 7 of chapter 16. And the Lord says to Samuel, listen to this, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so here are the Israelites. They are God's people at the time. And they are basing their sense of security not on the Lord, but on people's size, people's stature, outward appearances. The very reason they chose Saul in the first time was because we were told he was a head taller than everyone else in chapter 9. But now here along comes Goliath. He's taller, he's bigger, he's stronger. Where does it leave the Israelites? Chapter 17, verse 11. All the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 24, they were left in great fear. I don't know where you tend to base your sense of security on. I mean, there'll be a whole manner of things. But if it's your looks... What about when someone more attractive enters the room? If you base your real sense of security on your intellect, what about when someone smarter than you speaks up in the meeting? If it's your humor, the way you like to make people laugh, what about when someone else cracks the, jag and the joke and everyone else is sort of rolling around on the floor? can leave us feeling insecure. Whenever you and I trust in human sources of strength, we are always going to come up against someone bigger and stronger than us. And what then? This is the danger of focusing only on outward appearances. If we focus only on what we can see, we'll look at this universe, this Goliath of a universe, 93 billion light-years in diameter, this lowly planet, just the third rock from the sun, one sun, part of billion, we'll feel so small and so insignificant and we will struggle with meaning and purpose to our lives. If we focus only on outward appearances, we may look at the decline of Christianity in the West and think it is the end of the road for the church, certain defeat coming before the Goliath of human secularism and we end up discouraged and dismayed. And if you look at your office, for example merely from a human perspective you may see the Goliath of the HR machine and political correctness and you might think oh my goodness how could I ever speak up for Jesus how could I ever share that I am a Christian or try and talk to others about Jesus Christ so can I ask where might you be tempted right now to be focusing only on the externals I was doing some training of gospel coaches last week in Manchester, and I felt completely out of my comfort zone, partly because I myself have only been trained as a gospel coach a couple of years ago, and so I still feel very much still a novice, and you know, who am I to be now training other people in it, partly because I was given the hardest session to teach on in the week, and partly because the people that I was training were older than me, wiser than me, more experienced than me, and I was just focusing on the externals, only the externals, so much so that the day before I was meant to go, I you know, did a COVID test as we all had to, and inside I was secretly hoping it was positive, <laughs> so I didn't have to go, so sort of fearful and terrified I'd become. The fear of Goliath, the danger of only looking at outward appearance, external things. What might it look like for you and I to have a more God-centered perspective on things, on the thing you just mentioned, thought of, on All of life. Well, that brings us secondly onto David. So, not just the fear of Goliath, but secondly, the faith of David. Because in the next part of the story, David enters the scene from verse 12 onwards. Remember, he's just been anointed in the previous chapter, he's empowered by the Spirit, he's speaking bold words of faith. And for the remainder of chapter 17, we get three speeches from David. Verse 26, verses 34 to 37, and verses 45 to 47. Each of them giving a different, unique, God-given perspective on the situation. And you and I need each of them. So let's take a look at them. First, in verse 26, we are told we have a living God. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he/she he should defy the armies of the living God. And so, up to this point in the narratives, as we just said, there's been no mention of God at all, just focusing on the externals, outward appearance. But suddenly, now it all changes as David speaks. And this, by the way, is the first time that David speaks in, or well, at least the first recorded words we have of him in the Bible. Very important when someone speaks for the first time in the Bible. What, what, what's their heart on? What's important? and What matters? Where is their focus? It is on the Lord, on the living God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so what is David saying? He's saying, let's get some perspective here, guys. No one messes with the Lord. Not me, not you, certainly not this Goliath from Gath. He may look scary to you. He is nothing to the Lord who gives him every breath, who sustains his very being. Let's bring God into the situation. I don't know if you've ever been stuck on a work problem, you know, some relational conflict perhaps, struggling with a decision, and then someone comes in and gives a different perspective. And it's just really helpful. Suddenly you can see everything in a new light and the fog lifts, and you think, oh, yeah, thanks so much i got the direction, to, I know what to do next. And this is exactly what David is doing here. Bringing a new perspective, a different perspective, the right perspective, a God-centered one. And so, friends, can I encourage you? We have a living God who is always there, always with us, always at work, always available to help. We have a living God who made this universe, all 93 billion light years of it, and he made you with dignity and worth and with transcendent meaning and beauty, and you're not alone, and you're not insignificant. To the Lord, you, are, you eternally matter. We have a living God who says he is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yes, there may be some decline in the West, but across the world at large, ongoing, dramatic growth. We have a living God who is with you in the office every day, who has put you right there in that company, that team, that desk, that colleague who can give you just the right words to say with the right tone to use. He's with you. All of life live before him, our living God. Don't lose sight of him. And as we pastor each other, speak truth into one another's lives, as people reach out, to us for help, this is a great starting point, bringing God into the picture, gently, graciously, where do you see God here? How do you see our living God speak into this situation? Secondly, under this second point, we have a rescuing God, a living God and a rescuing God. Look down with me now at verse 34. This is David's second speech. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. In other words, this is not David's first rodeo. He's fought lions, he's fought bears in his role as a shepherd, protecting his father's sheep. And he has struck them down and he has killed them. But where is David's trust It is not in his skill, in his talents, his experience as a shepherd. The wisdom he's gained, no, it's in the Lord, it's the Lord who rescued me from the lion and the bear, and it is the Lord who will rescue me from this Philistine. The battle is his, a rescuing God. He's done it before, he will do it again. Going back to my example earlier about training these gospel coaches in Manchester and being scared about it and the... You know, when I got that positive COVID test, I knew something was going on inside, and I knew it wasn't right, and, you know, I can almost sense the Lord saying to me, nudging me, like, hey, have you forgotten someone here? He was more gentle than that. You know, have you forgotten someone here? Yeah, no, I have. How many times? You know, has the Lord enabled me and got me through many speaking commitments? How many times has He enabled me to get through some tough material and understand how to put it across. How many times has he helped me to get up and and teach in front of people who are older and wiser and more experienced than me? Many times. He's done it before. He can do it again. Yes, Lord, I can trust you with this and you can trust him too. Do you remember those times God has helped you out in the past? got you through a difficult spot, drew you in your trust of him. He's done it before. He can do it again. God is at work in all the details of your lives. No experience is wasted. Looking back in faith enables us to look forward in faith. His faithfulness to us in the past strengthens our faith in him in the present. We have a rescuing God. And in David's third speech, we see we also have a surprising God. This is verses 45 to 47. It's quite a large speech, but I'm going to read it all because it's just great stuff. So, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head, This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. I mean, who would have thought that God would choose to defeat Goliath through this little, weak, vulnerable Boy, David. I mean, he can't even get Saul's armor on properly. Like it's just so heavy for him that in the end he picks up these five stones in the sling. I mean, it's almost laughable. As you read it through, who would have thought? Not Eliab, verse twenty-eight. Not Saul, verse thirty-three. Not Goliath, verse forty-two. All they can see is a boy. All they can see is the externals, the sticks. But that's it with the Lord the living Lord, the rescuing God. He does not save by sword or spear or human displays of strength and power, but he chooses to save through weakness. The Bible commentator Dale Ralph Davis writes, what matters is not whether you have the best weapons, but whether you have the real God. In fact, your inadequacy may be precisely your qualification for serving God, for His strength shines brightly behind the foreground of your weakness. So take heart. Whatever you are up against right now, we have a living God who is always with us. We have a rescuing God who has helped us before and can help us again. You have a surprising God who is delighted to work through weak, broken, sinful people like you and me. Do not underestimate what God can do through you, through this church, tomorrow, the next day, in the week ahead. The faith of David. Well, thirdly and finally, let's look at the victory of Christ. Because in the wider biblical narrative, this story is not merely about David. He is long since dead and buried. You know, we are not part of the Israelite army today. We don't fight literal, physical battles like this. This story ultimately points to the greater David, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, who faced the ultimate Goliaths of sin and death and the evil one, and who has already won the victory for us. I don't know when you're reading David and Goliath where you tend to put yourself in the story if you're hearing this for the first time. where, Where would you like to put yourself? I'll tell you where I'd like to put myself. In the shoes of David. And be the hero. I'm sorry to say we're not David. We're not the hero. If you want to put yourself anywhere, put yourself in the army. Fearful and terrified and cowering in fear of most of the things that come our way. None of us can deal with our own sin, let alone the sin of the whole world. None of us can face death by ourselves and win. Most of us don't even realize the devil is real. What we don't need is another example to follow. Be like David. We're not David. Be like Jesus. We're not Jesus. What we need is a savior, a champion, a representative, someone who can go into this battle and face sin and death and the evil one and win it for us. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. That is who He is to us. It may seem laughable, it may seem incongruous, but 2,000 years ago, as Jesus Christ is dying on the cross, in what seems externally incredible weakness, He is actually paying for all our sin. And all the times we carry away in fear, he pays for sin once for all. And three days later rises from the conquers death. And he is alive and he offers the forgiveness of sin and the power of his Holy Spirit for all those who trust in him. In other words, if you are someone here who is following Jesus Christ, you really do have nothing to fear. Not ultimately not from sin, not from death, not from the evil one. Jesus has already won the victory for you. You cannot lose, not ultimately, the victory is yours in Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are eternally secure. And it is having this perspective, this Christ-centered perspective, through life not focusing on the externals but focusing on him that will help us to step out not in fear but in faith faith in our living rescuing surprising God to face any Goliath that is thrown at us in the week ahead well let me pray that for us now let's pray Father God we do thank and praise you for this incredible story and showdown between David and Goliath, but ultimately, Lord, we know it's about you. You are the one who saves. The battle is yours, not ours. And in the person of Jesus Christ, your son, you have conquered sin, you have conquered death, you are risen alive. The promise of the forgiveness of sins, your spirit with us is there. And so please help us not to focus merely on the externals, but have this divine, God-centered, Christ-centered perspective on all areas of our life. And so please help us by your Spirit to step out, not in fear, but in faith, to face whatever comes our way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.